Do you have an idea for a podcast, but you don't know where to start? Maybe you're overwhelmed by all the tech or you're convinced nobody will actually listen to you. Well, I'm Shauna Game. After nine and a half years as a professional podcaster, at this show, everyone's talking money. And 25 million downloads later, let me tell you the secret to a profitable podcast. It is building a solid foundation, your podcast roadmap before you launch. That's why I created the Podcaster Class, a fast-paced group cohort podcasting for profit eight-week style NBA program. The Podcaster Class is immersive, comprehensive, and insanely motivational. If you want to create a podcast, DIYing a launch is just not the way to go. In the Podcaster Class, you'll get the tools, tips, and strategies to create a podcast that resonates with listeners and one you can be proud of. Get this. 90% of podcasters never make it to episode three. That's 2.8 million podcasters who just quit. So to be a top podcaster, you only need to publish 21 episodes, but you got to make them good. So in the podcaster class, I'm taking the mystery out of how to create, launch, and profit from your podcast so you can create a top 1% podcast just like this one. The May cohort is now open for enrollment. Classes start May 22nd. There are only 15 spots open. You are going to learn podcasting with me and 14 other amazing people. You can learn all the details at thepodcasterclass.com. Use code podcast when you sign up for $100 off. That's thepodcasterclass.com. I'm going to be real with you. Identity theft is on the rise, and you do not want to wake up one morning and discover that your bank account has been emptied or you're overdue on credit cards you never even applied for. We talk about this often on the podcast, but you don't realize how much of your information is available to scammers on the internet and how susceptible you and your family are to identity theft and fraud. I know, it's scary, but now you can get your data removed with Delete Me. That's why I personally choose Delete Me. Delete Me is a subscription service that removes your personal information from the largest people search databases on the web and in the process helps prevent potential ID theft doxing, and phishing scams. I just started using Delete Me and I got my regular personalized privacy report. (laughs) I was shocked what they found and removed. It was pages of information about me that I did not want online. Here's how it works. You sign up and provide Delete Me with exactly what information you want deleted, and their experts take it from there. I cannot tell you how relieved I felt to have Delete Me. And you know, it's also a great service for your parents or grandparents to help protect them from identity theft. Delete Me is not just a one-time service. Delete Me is always working for you, constantly monitoring and removing the personal information you do not want on the internet. Take control of your data and keep your private life private by signing up for Delete Me, now at a special price for my listeners. Today, get 20% off your Delete Me plan when you go to joindeleteme.com slash etm and use promo code etm at checkout. The only way you get 20% off is to go to joindeleteme.com slash etm and enter code etm at checkout. J-O-I-N-D-E-L-E-T-E-M-E dot com slash etm. Go to joindeleteme.com slash etm and use code etm for 20% off. Hey, I'm Shauna Compton Game. This is Millennial Money. And today we're talking about the concept of failing upwards. What does that mean, right? Nobody actually likes to admit that they failed, but what happens when failing actually propels you forward? 
That is super exciting. And on today's podcast, we hit the streets, the LA streets with Blind Barber co-founder Jeff, and he's sharing all about his amazing adventure to becoming an entrepreneur. Hey, Jeff, it's so awesome to have you with us on Millennial Money. Thanks so much for joining us today. Pleasure is mine. So you have this interesting story, and we're kind of going to circle back around to, you know, Blind Barber and, um, you know, how you got um, the setup and kind of your entrepreneurial journey. But I really want to talk about something that I read in an article where, you know, you talked about kind of that you had this life plan. And what you realized is your plan kind of sucked. And, you know, you really sort of reinvented yourself. And I I was really wondering if you could just kind of share a little bit about that, you know, what your plan was and, you know, why did it suck? Sure. Well, I don't think my plan sucked. I think I sucked at my plan uh, because I was not as interested in it. But, you know, growing up, you're always asked the question, what do you want to be when you grow up? And you kind of choose something early on in life, whether it's something you find interesting or, you know, something along the lines of what a a mentor or a teacher guides you towards pursuing. Um, And in my high school days, I I guess I was an argumentative type of student to a degree (laughs) and enjoyed, enjoyed being right and, and finding the little loopholes to get, you know, to get what I needed. And I was told to be a lawyer, you know, you would succeed very, you know, you would, crush it Jeff is basically what they'd be telling me is and so that was the plan and it was like all right well that's great I got this figured out let's uh do whatever it takes to become that lawyer and you know yell out objection and overruled or whatever other terms get thrown in there and so I was on that path that was my path and after high school I went to NYU luckily I I got you know I was really fortunate to be accepted to to a school of that degree and immediately jumped into uh, my major, which was history, which I was told was one of the launching pads into the law career. Uh, Four years of that, couldn't tell you a single historical thing I don't that happened in the US other than a few wars or something. Um but really enjoyed. I did well. You know, I, I really enjoyed the the act of research and, and and forming my own opinion on what what transpired and diving into the I guess the psychology of why things were happening uh you know for particular groups or events that happened. Uh blah 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 blah. Fast forward, I graduate, and I realized that you don't immediately get a job after college and was back in New Jersey living on my mom's couch, unemployed, every so often in the fetal position, just wondering what the hell I did wrong because I had followed the path. Like, that was the path, right? Yeah, isn't it so interesting, too, that, you know, you you kind of, you know, everyone in college, I teach at a college. And, uh, you know, everyone there, I mean, you just think you get this degree and you roll out and you, you get, you know, you get the, the $100,000 job and life is sweet. And it doesn't always work. It very rarely, I should say, works that way. It sure as shit does not. So, you know, I, I, I had to figure it out, but I was not going to give up on this path. I, I knew who I was as a person. And I know that when I get in somewhere that I can, I can make it happen and I can prove my worth. So I just started applying to every blessed law firm that I could find in the tri-state area. Um, 
and for seven months came up empty handed until luckily one of my best friends from uh he uh unlike myself, landed a job right after college uh, at a law firm called Cravath, Swain & Moore. Um, really prestigious, unbelievable firm. I mean, top-notch, best in the biz. And he, uh, he was really good friends with the, I, I can't remember her exact position, I believe it was in HR, but someone who, who, who was involved in the hiring of legal assistants at this firm. And I, I, I just said, listen, Matt, like, I got to get back to New York. I have to get back on this path that I had laid out for myself. Um, could you please do me a favor and pass my resume forward? And so he literally walked the resume over to his, his friend there and asked her if she wouldn't mind taking a glimpse and maybe, you know, possibly giving me an interview. <laughs> well, she was actually on her, it was her second to last day working at the firm. So she was like, no problem. Is he a good friend of yours? Matt was like, yeah. And she said, will he work hard? He said, yeah. She said, well, he's pretty much hired. Just tell him to come in for the formality and we can probably get him lined up. I, I'm pretty sure that day was uh, somewhere around December 22nd or 23rd of 2006, something like that. I'm trying to get my dates right. But a couple years before the opening of Blind Barber. Um, and uh, so I went up there, met her, and she just simply said, you're hired. I don't exactly remember what day it was, but it was somewhere around December 22nd or 23rd of 2006, a couple years before I had opened Blind Barber. And I got in my car. I went up there, met her. She said, you're great. And just come back in. Or no, and then I had to go and meet with one of the, the more senior attorneys in the banking section of the law firm. Met with them. They liked me. I went home. I got a call. They said, you're hired. When can you start? And I said, the 26th. <laughs> and so the day after Christmas, I drove up to New York, called my buddy Vinny, uh, who, uh, my best friend Vin, who, who works with me now at Blind Barber as well, um, and was like, can I crash with you? And he said, yeah, I got some room in my room. I have room in my room. And I said, well, I guess that'll work. And I moved into his bedroom and started working at this law firm. It was awesome for the first you know, month or two, I was making adult money working countless hours. Like I think, it, I think my first week there, I was logging like 80 hours a week, you know, taking the town car home, you know, closing deals, wearing a, like a suit of some sort. Yeah. Um, and it was cool, but the excitement didn't really stick with me that long. And, and it was immediately after a couple of months of doing the same monotonous work and, and even getting a glimpse into what the attorneys are doing, you know, it wasn't just the fact that my work was becoming a little, a little, uh, repetitive, but, but I saw what the big wig attorneys were doing and it didn't look that attractive to me any longer. So now sets in panic mode. It's like, well, shit, this is what I was supposed to be doing eventually. And I set myself here to be able to go after that, that, that type of job and that type of life. And, and now that's not what I want at all. Like, do I continue doing that? And I kind of battled with that question for a couple of years. You know, I, I was making money and so I needed to live in New York, uh, or to, you know, to make money to live in New York, but I, there was no way I could become a lawyer. So 
you know, the, the idea for Blind Barber didn't happen immediately. It was just like, well, this isn't going to work. And I kind of hit a little, I guess, like crisis period in my life where I was like, well, what do I do? I have a history degree. I don't want to become a teacher. And I don't know what else you do. Like, what, what do I do? And I don't want to become a career paralegal. Um, so, you know, that path kind of abruptly halted, you know, took it stopped immediately. And I really needed to do some soul searching. And in the interim, uh, during this, this whole process, I was, you know, having to get haircuts and it reminded me of the times in high school. And even throughout college, when I had part-time jobs working in salons, my mom uh, was a manager of a salon. And so whenever I needed part-time work, that's normally where I'd find myself answering phones and hanging out with all the service providers and talking to them about my dates and trying to, <laughs> trying to get dates at the salon. I mean, it was heaven right? for me. I lo- oh, please, are you kidding I me? I can that imagine. Was the, oh, it was a gold mine. It was the best place in the world. Um, so, you know, I, I, I was like sitting at work and I was like, you know what? why don't I just become a cosmetologist? I said, I have all the connections to like these great salons, like the Aveda network and Ted Gibson salon, which was like the best in New York city that I'd ever experienced. And I was like, you know, fuck it. Like, let's do that. Let's, let's go. Let's go to cosmetology school, become a stylist. I'll cut hair and make about 150 bucks a haircut you know or whatever my commission was off that but yep. they they charge a decent amount i said i can make a good living that way and i and i like the atmosphere so i did that and i did that while i worked at the law firm i worked from nine to five and then from five to ten i enrolled uh myself into a veda cosmetology school and it was great i felt like i was back on a new path you know i had found myself again um and for the first like couple months in cosmetology school, you, you go through the written part, which is basically understanding all of the different types of like sanitary practices. Um, it's, it's, it's just school, you know, right. just tests and stuff. Um, and then the, and then you hit the practical part and <laughs> this is where a, my, my secondary path came to an abrupt halt as well, because when I had to wash someone's hair, I realized very quickly that I could not touch hair. It grossed me out to a whole nother level. Like I'm totally fine washing my own hair. I, you know, I'm my wife and I, there, there's definitely some hair pulling going on here and there, but beyond that, my fingers do not go in anyone's hair. And I learned that at that day. So I was like, what am I going to do? Like, I can't, I can't actually bring myself to do this. Right. So luckily for me, there was a little break period happening. It was, I think, summer, a week summer break or something in between school. So I took a vacation and my family was down at the Jersey Shore and my grandfather was down there and he was a serial entrepreneur himself, um, someone who I admired and looked up to. And, and I say, you know, I didn't know I was going to become an entrepreneur. I don't think that's like something you set out to do. It just kind of happens. Um, but I was talking to him and I was more so trying to just get some reassurance about my decision to pursue cosmetology and see if I could get any sort of like oomph behind me to get past this fear of mine. And so I, I was talking to him on the balcony of the house and, I, you know, I, I was like, pop up, what, what the hell do I do, man? Um, I 
thought I was going to be good at this. I really like the industry. I said, but I, I can't touch hair. You know, what do you think about me cutting hair? And that was the exact question. And he says, oh, Jeffrey, he said, I think it's great, man. He's like, I, I loved my barber shop. He said, I, you go in, you get a haircut, you feel good. You know, back when I was there, they gave you a beer, talked about the girls. He was like, just go and hang out. He said, I, I think you would really like, you know, doing that. And I, it was literally a cartoon moment. It was, I don't know what happened, but it just clicked. And it was like, that's what I liked about the salons. And I said, and what he just said doesn't exist for me. I said, it wasn't the act of cutting hair that I liked. When I worked in the salons and, and, and that I was so enamored by the, the experience and, and like I always wanted to be there and just hang out, it was because the environment provided such a, like it was a, such a, like it, a rush. It, yeah, not even a rush, but it, it was just—it was just so nice to be in a place where their whole goal was to make someone feel like the best version of themselves. And it wasn't just a haircut, right? It was like giving someone a glass of wine to take the edge off their day, putting them in a robe, giving them a scalp massage, letting them talk on and on and on about the boy that left them, you know, the other night and how mad they are, or the the three people that they're seeing and no one knows about each other and just having that therapy session in the chair. And then at the end of a half hour, at the end of an hour, having looking at themselves in the mirror and being like, oh shit, there I am. You know, because yeah. you go in, you go in to get the haircut or a, a service of sort because you don't feel like yourself. It's not because you don't look like yourself. You always recognize yourself in the mirror, but you don't feel like yourself. You don't feel like the best version. And that's what I, I was like, that's what it is. That's what I loved being there. I could be whoever I wanted within the salon. I could just let it all out. So I went back to New York. I dropped out of cosmetology school. I got on the internet instead of doing my job at the law firm. And, <laughs> and I looked up businessplans.com. And I started writing a business plan. So, so you know, every entrepreneur has kind of like a different story of like the startup process. What was it like for you? I mean, was it tough? Was it just something easy where you're like, okay, I know, I know what I'm doing. I don't necessarily know all the variables, but I have the direction. I, you know, I, I think it was more. I, I wish I could answer this. I, I don't know. I, you know, I think I just got to a point where I felt like my back was up against the wall, and that. I can't strike out three times. And I struck out three times because I didn't put the work in to become the best at those positions, you know, whether it be a lawyer or become a cosmetologist. Like, you know, I didn't, I didn't put the effort to get over my fear and I didn't put in the effort to study for the LSATs as, as much as I should have. And it was because I was disinterested in it. I think though that when I found out, you know, in, within myself, how interested I was in the experience of the salon I just you become entrenched in it it was a hobby you know it's like when you find something that you love doing you don't you obsess over it and so I, you know I, I I didn't I hope I'm answering this question right but I, I I didn't know exactly what I was doing but I just had convinced myself that I could figure it out you know and yep. and if I just changed the way that I spoke about what my dreams were and, and what I was going to do with my life when I talked to people instead of saying like, oh, I got this idea. I don't know if it's going to work. I was literally walking around to people and just saying, hey, you know, I'm going to open up this bar and barbershop. Um, you know anything about that? And little by little, I just started following the breadcrumbs that people were leaving for me uh, that, that 
and, and it eventually led me to all the information that I needed to start my company. Uh, you should talk to this, my, my buddy over here, he owns a bar. He could probably help you in terms of operations and stuff. So I went and spoke to that person and then, Oh, you know, um, my my sister runs her own little salon. She could probably share some of the financial information. Went to that person, you know, and and just little by little, just started collecting and piecing things together. Now the business plan sucked, but <laughs> it at least I, th- I think like I mean in truth, like I didn't know what the hell I was doing, but I think I think that what it did was is it provided me with confidence that I could figure it out. You know, whether or yeah. not it was right or wrong, I was I was <laughs> more so. I'd found something that I believed could work. And when you have the confidence in yourself and you, and you really put the time into, to kind of research and, and figure out, you know, broad strokes, I think, I think you, you, get, you got a chance to do it. Yeah, absolutely. So how long was that period between, you know, business plan and actual opening doors of Blind Barber? I think it was like, if I remember correctly, I believe that it took about two years in total, something like that from like, yeah, 2008-ish to 2010, somewhere around there. Yeah, that's that's actually not a long time. I mean, that's that's going pretty rapid. I told you I was obsessed. Yeah, absolutely. So um, I'll wait for that to go by, too. <laughs> yeah, I'm so sorry no, about this. No, no, don't this. worry about it. I can just cut this part. Okay, so you talk about like having, you know, finding something that you can be obsessed about. You know, how can people kind of translate your messaging of, of failing upwards and, and taking kind of these epic risks, you know, how can they translate that into their own lives, into their own career search, especially if they were like you and they're like, I have no idea what I, what I should be doing. Yeah. I, you know, I, it's, it's a tough one. I, I think everyone, it doesn't necessarily mean you have to start your own business, right? It, it's, it's even within your own fields. It's like, I find, victories in, in just improving myself, right? It's a selfish motive. I just want to be better myself personally. And then through that, I feel like as though the, this diving into these, these, uh, projects or jobs that you have and just not just taking, not, not taking them for granted or taking them for what they are. Like even at the law firm, you know, I, I was always trying to figure out a way to like make the closing of the deal go faster. And it was for myself. But when I figured out a way to organize the folders and, and you know, provide the, the attorney with uh, a comprehensive summary of all the documents that had come out and I could get that to them in two days as opposed to two weeks, you know, I, it made my job a little more enjoyable because I was adding, you know, uh, value. Yeah, value. And, and not only to the, to the job, but to myself, you know, it was a victory for me. It was like, oh, look at what I just figured out. And I think if you if you take a selfish approach to it and find the silver linings and all the, you know, the shit that sucks, you can really, like you said, fail upwards. You know, you can find you can find all of these little successes that are hidden amongst all of the mundane and boring and failed opportunities or failed things that you did. Yeah, that's such such an awesome message and so true. Like no matter whether you're have your own business or you're in a company or you know whatever it may be, even yeah, if you're just, in college, you know, just to find find a way to make yourself the best version of you. I love that of you. Yeah, it's about you. You know, if you if you remove like who you're doing it for and you focus it back on yourself, you'll find you'll I think you'll find some some victories in there. 
Yeah, very cool. All right, so we're almost out of time, but last question. Um, so tell me about kind of the uh, evolution for Blind Barber. Where is it going? What is it going to sure. look like? Well, Blind Barber. Well, blind- Barber started six years ago, and it started as just a simple, like I said, barber shop with a bar and a place where I could kick it with my buddies, get a haircut, feel good, drink a beer, and you know, talk about the shit we liked. And it, it was actually from that one place in the East Village in New York where the real, the real ideology and the real mantra behind Blind Barber, which is you know that we're not there to make you look good, we're there to make you feel good. We're there to instill confidence in our guests and within our employees and ourselves so that we can be just a small part in pushing the world forward a little bit. You know, we do our part. Um, You know, we're not designing the next, you know, crazy app that's changing the world or anything, but we're hopefully making someone feel good about themselves so that they go back home and figure out the cool thing. Right, yeah. Um, So so just from that little barbershop. So from there, we've opened up uh, a location in L.A., um, and then we went back and opened up a location in Brooklyn, as well as a standalone barbershop in Barney's. We've launched a product line that we feel is truly representative of ourselves, as well as, a, I think, a voice uh, in the lifestyle realm, if that uses that, that word isn't used too broadly. Um, you know, we, we as the barber are the epicenter of, of neighborhood culture. And so we, we are fortunate enough to have an eclectic mix of people with all different passions and all different stories come into our chairs. And like I said, they let those out. So we felt as though our job was to kind of put those stories back out there in different ways, whether it be through a collaboration or video content and just tell stories through the barbershop lens. Um, and that's been great. You know, I think that's separated us from the, the onslaught of barbershops that have come into existence since we've launched where, you know, our focus, like I said, is beyond, beyond the actual services of, of a haircut or a cocktail. And it's more about the, uh, the feeling and, and, and building a community that instills confidence in people. So moving forward, I guess our goal is to keep uh, finding cool little niche neighborhoods that inspire us to, to be better people. And in turn, hopefully we can, push push some people forward ourselves you know i mean there's no little nook in the world that doesn't need a, a cool barber shop with some really intriguing people behind the chairs and good listeners 